Okay, this year is also uh, for the yard site of Florence Greenwald Reisinger and Annabas Beryl Wolf. Both of them have the yard site tonight. So the Shir Bili Ilui Nishmas, those uh, women. Okay, uh, what I want to talk about today is the Kiyor. The Kiyor. The Kiyor is, um, is a large vessel that contained water, which itself is not so terribly interesting because we're used to the idea that before you do something, you should wash your hands. Uh, you know, people have commented about this, uh, like being a Jewish fault. Now, Jews are always washing their hands and always wondering if their hands are clean enough. But let's ignore that part, the psychological part, or the psychological, you know, who is it? Macbeth? Macbeth, he was the one? It's good to have a broad general education. You could say things like that. Okay. So, in the Beit HaMikdash, we're talking about the Mishkan. In the Beit HaMikdash, there was, this, there was a Kiyor. In the Mishkan, there was a Kiyor. And the Beit HaMikdash that Shlomo HaMelech built, there was also a Kiyor. There was a difference between the Kiyor of Shlomo HaMelech and the Kiyor in the Mishkan. That's a big difference. And that big difference, uh, you can't see it here on the second page, there's a picture of the Kiyor. I, I don't know who those three fellows are, uh, but I guess they are um, Kohanim, I would guess. You see this Kiyor? Now you see there's a kind of scaffolding on top of the Kiyor, some kind of, uh, I don't know what it is. But the kiyor that Shlomo HaMelech built had a mechona, it was called in the Tanakh. It had a machine, we would call it a, not a machine, not like electrical, but a mechanical machine. You know, a set of, well, how it worked, I don't know exactly. And they were able to lower the kiyor into the ground every night. And the reason for that the reason for that is that the halacha is that anything that goes through lina, anything that stays overnight in the Beit HaMikdash, cannot be used in the Avodah. Right? So you know that uh, there's a certain halacha about eating korbanot. You have to eat the korban on the day, the night, and the next day, and then you can't use it anymore. But everything else, everything else that might be in the Beit HaMikdash cannot be um, cannot go through this lina. It can't just like sit there. So what happened? They had this tremendous cistern full of water. So that cistern was built on top of a bore, of a ditch, a pit, a top of a pit. And the pit was filled with water. And so when you lowered the cistern into the pit of water, then the water in the cistern somehow, you know how halachically you have different ways of thinking about things? So that halachically the water in the cistern was connected to the ground, was connected to the natural water. There was some kind of an opening by which the waters mixed together. And since the water was, uh, the water was in the ground, that's all right. So that means every night they had to lower the kior into the ground 
in order that the kior, in order that the water in the kior should not become pasu, that would be unusable for the purpose of washing the feet and the hands of the kohanim. The reason I mention this is, and that, but that's what the picture shows. I, mean, I don't know exactly how it works, but that's the intention. That's the intention of the picture. Perhaps I should have gotten. We should get the video. But you could download the video yourself any time. You just look at the Machon Hamikdash, and they have everything works there. You know, everything Machon Hamikdash works. I don't know what Shlomo Hamelech would say if he saw the video of the Machon Hamikdash. You know, would he say great, or would he say? That's ridiculous. I don't know. But the, the reason I mention it is because the kior in the Mishkan obviously did not have this feature. Right? Because the Mishkan was made to move from place to place. You could like put up this scaffolding and, and, and complicate it. At any event, we don't know what they did in the desert to deal with this halachic problem, which is later on brought up in the Gemara. But uh, you have to understand that the way Shlomo HaMelech built it was, to his mind, necessary. It had to be built that way. And since it had to be built that way, uh, it must have been, there must have been some way that they took care of this problem in the desert as well. So the Kiyor, the Kiyor was filled with water. And the Kohanim would wash their hands and their feet before they went to do the Avodah. Right, of course, this is reminiscent of what we do before we eat. Right, we wash our hands, we don't wash our feet, but we wash our hands. Which is interesting, right? It's interesting that we wash our hands because after all, everybody knows that Tum'ah, that the notion of Tum'ah, which, you know, coming to the book of Ayikra, which is the book of Tum'ah and Tahara, the Tum'ah usually affects the entire body. There's no such thing. You can't have tumataraglayim or tumatayadayim. But the Chachamim made a takana that you should, in order to remember tumavatara, they made this takana that you should wash your hands before you eat food. Right? I hope that you're all with me so far. You must have noticed that people wash before they eat bread. So this takana, I mean, nobody knows where it came from. Like, how do they make that decision that you should, in order to remember Tumavatara, you should do something that is counterindicated? To, like, like, if you wanted to remember, if you wanted to remember that you should eat a matzah on Pesach, you wouldn't eat a piece of bread, right? That would seem to be silly. So if you want to remember that it's Tumavatara, you should do something that's, that really works in Tumavatara, and this doesn't. What, uh, uh, but it does connect somehow to whatever the Kohanim were doing when they went into the Beit HaMikdash and they washed their hands and their feet. Now this is not the mikveh of the Kohen Gadol. This is not the mikveh of the Kohen Gadol, which of course the Kohen Gadol had to go to the mikveh, Yom Kippurim, that everybody knows, but this is something else. This is what the, Jew, the, the, the Kohanim did when they came to do the Avodah. They would grab a, their right foot with their right hand and they would open the spout and wash their right hand and right foot at the same time. And then they would switch feet or switch hands or both. Switch hands and switch feet. Of course, they didn't do both at the same time for obvious reasons. So now, in the parasha of Vayakhev, there's a strange pasuk 
there's a strange pasuk about building the kiyot. About building the kiyot. You know that in these parashiyot, in Trumat, in Tzavel, Vayakel, and Pekudei, but also Kitisa a little bit, there's a discussion about the donations, what was used to build the, the various kelim, and what was brought, and, and the fact that Bitzalel and Aholiyav were the master craftsmen, and then there were other, uh, there were other people involved. All of that is in these parashiyot, right? Trumat, Tzaveh, a little bit of Kitisa, and Vayakel and Kudeh. One of the big mysteries of the Chumash is, of course, why you need reduplicated parashiyot. Right? Why Trumat, Tzaveh have a parallel, basically, to Vayakel and Kudeh. Those of you who, uh, who still take the trouble to do Pamayim Mikra Vechat Targum, right? The Shulchan Aruch says, the Gemara says, but the Shulchan Aruch also says that every week you should learn the Parasha Pamayim Mikra Vechat Targum. Uh, we today generally don't understand the Targum so well. That's Targum Unkulos or Targum Yonatan. We don't understand the Targum so well. So instead we learn Rashi. Right, we learn the parsha with Rashi. We do the parsha twice. We know how you do it exactly. Uh, there are many different opinions, but generally speaking, you have to go through the psukim like you do it by an aliyah. You can read the target. You can do it possibly by possibly. Everybody has their own way of, of doing it. But all year long, we wait. We wait. Those of us who do Paimai and Mikra of Echotargum, we wait for the parashiot of Vayakel and Pekude because there's hardly any Rashi. Because Rashi has explained it all to us in Truma and Tetzaveh. So Rashi doesn't have to explain it again. I didn't say that there's no Rashi, but there's hardly any Rashi, which makes uh, uh, learning the parashiyot of Ayakel Kukude kind of a, of, a, of a breeze. It's like, thank you. So, as you figure, if, if Rashi is not going to explain it to you, you must know it already. So even if you don't know it already, you're just like... Keep going through it. So in any way, there's a pasuk. There's a mystery pasuk, which has to do with the building of the kiyor. And that pasuk says, if you look at the sheet, Vayaset ha-kiyor nechoshet, vet kanon nechoshet. Now, uh, this is important to remember, that the kiyor, the kiyor was made out of nechoshet. Nechoshet is not a precious metal. It's not gold and silver and titanium and jewelry. It's not any of that. Nechoshet is... What's Nechoshet? What? Copper. Uh, copper, yeah. Copper is no big deal, right? You bang it. It always looks old. That's the thing about copper. And then you have to say, gee, it's... Why would you want to get something that looks new? You could buy something new that looks old. So, copper. That's what copper is. Now, you know that the Kiorin is not... Uh, discussed in the parasha of Truma. Now we're going to have this memory thing, right? Truma is the parasha of Kalim, of the Kalim, of the vessels in the Mishkan. Tetzaveh is the parasha of Bigdei Kuhuna. And the order is reversed in Vayakel and Pekudei, right? Vayakel is more the parasha of Bigdei Kuhuna, starts from Bigdei Kuhuna, and Pekudei is the Kaleha Mishkan and building the Mishkan. For some reason, so where should uh, where should the kiyor be mentioned? Where should it be mentioned? It should be mentioned in the parasha of Truma, the parasha of the Kalim. but it's not. 
Where is it mentioned? I mean, and that's of course a, oh, like a hint. A hint of something, but where is it mentioned? It's mentioned the parasha of Titisa. This is the second mention. This is the mention in the parasha of the end of Vayakel. It's mentioned in Kitisa. So some people say because it wasn't made of precious metal, or it wasn't made of diamonds. Right, that everything in the, all the Kalim, the Shulchan, the Aron, the Menorah, these are all made of precious stuff. The Truma of precious vessels was brought in order to make those Kalim. But the Truma of the Kiyor was different. And this is what the Pasuk says. Vayas et Kiyor the Choshet, we're ready at Vayaka, we're doing Vayas. Right, Vayas et Kiyor, we're up to actually doing it. Vet Kano, the Choshet Kano is the, is the bottom part, right? The, the Kiyor is like a big pot, a terrine, with spouts, and it rests on a base. It rests on a base, I, I guess you can see it in the picture. Let me just look at the picture again. Well, I guess. I know, you see it has a leg, right? The leg is a kind of a base. So it was made in two, in two pieces. Now, the next word are, is, or words are, the marot hatsovot. Marot hatsovot. Now, the word marot is a word that you might be able to figure out. But you know that in modern Hebrew, the word mar'ah is a mirror, right? The word sovot is a mystery. So it's marot, mirrors, has to do with mirrors. And then, asher tzav'u petach is just a further mystery. This word, tzadi bet aleph, even though it's a word in Hebrew, tzava, tzivot, tzivot Hashem, right? It's a word that's used in Hebrew, yet... It doesn't sort of fit in. What's marot hatsovot? So if we say we know what marot means, it doesn't help us much. On this pasuk, there is a very famous comment that Rashi makes. Now the comment that Rashi makes is, let's look at it together. Benot Yisrael haya ayubiyadan marot. Rashi tells us a story. The story is found in the Midrash. And the story is that the women of Israel, the daughters of Israel, had mirrors. Shero'ot bahem kishehen mitkashtot. And they would use these mirrors when they were putting on makeup. Like mitkashtot. When they were adorning themselves. Kishut. A kishut is an adornment. Right? It could also be something simpler, like just uh, balloons on the, on the ceiling. But here it means, it means that. Va'af otan lo ikvu hamishka. So, okay, so they brought mirrors. This is the only thing the women had. Everything else was joint property. Right? So when the husbands brought their stuff, so they brought for their wives also. It was like common, common property. The only thing that the women had were these mirrors. They belonged to the women because the men didn't use them. And didn't. I, I don't know exactly. You have to make up a story. But that's what Rashi says. He says, Afotam lo ikvu And even they, the mirrors, were presented for the purpose of the Mishkan. So there's a story here. What's the story? 
What do you mean the low ikvu? If you, if you, if you needed nechoshen, if you need a copper, so you take this, this is copper. I mean, what's the, what issue could there possibly be here that the Torah had to tell us that they brought marot? The Torah doesn't tell us about what other objects of gold and silver they brought. They said gold. Here's a gold, whatever. A gold, uh, a candelabrum. So they melt it down and they do something with it. What do have to tell us about marot? Why does the Torah tell us? He says, Now this is really an interesting story. This is an interesting story that Chazal tell us and that Rashi repeats. He says, Moshe Rabbeinu looked at these marot and he said, I'm not accepting them. This is not acceptable for the Beit HaMikdash. Because after all, this is what we call Yetzer Harah. So you call Yetzirah. After all, uh, what was the idea? The idea that the women should look good and that the husband should appreciate that. Yetzirah. So I'm not going to accept the Ma'ot the, 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 as a donation. It's like a, you don't donate something like that to the Beit HaMikdash. So he says, Amarlo, so the Rashi says, Amarlo HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Kabel. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Moshe Rabbeinu, no, 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 take them. You can take them. Ki elu chavivin alai min hakol. Now this is a pretty radical statement because the mirrors are more appreciated in heaven than any other donation, than anything else that was given. What does that mean? What does that mean? She'al yideheb ha'emidu anashim sivot rabot bivitrayim. Because it's because of this, you know, the husbands were frustrated and they were tired and they were working and they didn't see the point to having children. Along came the women and the women said, no, it's important to have children. And, and the, the Jewish people continued. And so, they told, said to Moshe Rabbeinu, listen, these are not just mirrors. This is not just Yetzahara, but this is the future of Am Yisrael. So take those mirrors. Take the mirrors. So of course you're in the way of learning, in the way of learning Torah, of course we would all say, how come Moshe Rabbeinu didn't get it? I know it's not exactly, you know, a, a, a rocket science to understand that, that this is how the Jewish people continue. How come Moshe Rabbeinu was so off? And he said, oh, these mirrors are terrible. Don't take them. HaKadosh Baruch had to intervene and go to Moshe Rabbeinu and teach him a little olive base and say, Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, it's okay. What was the, what was the discussion here? What was the discussion? Well, let's finish Rashi before we try to answer that question and the other before Shim as well. So, so the Rashi goes on and says, He's explained uh, the word Marot Hatsovot. What are the Marot Hatsovot? Those are the mirrors that help to create the legions, the legions of Israel. Right? Those are the children and the grandchildren. They all came because of these mirrors. The husbands were tired. They would use the marot at that time. That is like a little point here that's not so good. 
So they would look at each other, or they look together at the mirror through the through the mirror. And she would convince him that this was a good time. Lomar, Anina Emimcha. And she would say to him, I'm more beautiful than you are. I look better than you do. And that's how they would do it. So it all started from the mirrors. And then the women knew how to, how to uh, treat their husbands. And then the legions of Israel were, um, were protected. And they would get pregnant, and they would have children. If you look at Shir Hashem, you see that Rashi says that Tachatatapuach refers to Har Sinai. First to Har Sinai, but, but uh, obviously this Medrash thinks that the Pasuk has to do with Mitzray, with uh, being in Mitzray. So Rashi's finished. That's what the pasuk means when it says marot sovot. Vinasa akiyor mihem. And Rashi says, and so they made the kiyor from the marot. Why did they make the kiyor from the marot? Shehul asum shalom bein ish leishto. Shehu. Something. What's the antecedent? The water in the kior is for peace. How is the water for peace? Lashkot mimayim shebetocho et shikinela baala v'nistar. And you know that there is this din of sota, which we don't learn about till the book of Bamidbar, the parish of Naso. And the din of sota is a special, a special din. The husband suspects his wife. And there's no way that you can prove it, one way or the other. Right? He suspects his wife of having something to do with some other man. And the witnesses say, yes, she was, uh, she was alone with this man. But we don't know what happened there. We don't know what they did or did not do. And so the husband has a suffix about whether it's permitted to continue the marriage. So there's a special, a special leniency that the Torah has. It's a kind of a leniency that the woman is able to drink special water. That comes, the water comes from the kiyor and includes the parashah of sota that is burnt and uh, put into the waters. If she drinks the waters, she either lives or dies. She lives, so we know that she was all right. She didn't do anything wrong, and that is called shalom. That's called shalom because you took away suspicion. This procedure takes away the suspicion that the husband had that the wife was not beseded. And even though the wife said clearly she didn't do anything and nothing happened, etc., the suspicion doesn't go away. So it's a special, it's, a, it's like a chesed that a Baruch said in such a case, will, there's a method of taking away the the, uh, the, the, this suspicion. So that's called Shalom Bein Ishl Ishto. That Shalom Bein Ishl Ishto comes from water that was in the Kiyor. The Kiyor was made from the Marot. The Marot also indicate a certain kind of Shalom Bein Ishl Vein 
Ishto. So that's what Rashi says. Rashi explains. So why, you know, why did the Pasuk, why does the Pasuk tell us about the Maros? And why did the Pasuk say Tzov Oath? Rashi's explained the whole thing by using this Medrash. This is Medrash, and this is like a Rashi position. You could say, you could say, how does Rashi, why does Rashi use it? What's the Pshat? And what do you, how do you explain it without the Pasuk? But that's not Rashi. Without the Medrash. That's not Rashi. Rashi, Rashi explains things so that they are correct. Right, and if he has to use Chazal, we use Chazal. Let's just finish. That these are real mirrors. And it says that the Pasuk, the Choshat Rufa, Shivim Kikar, Bayasba, Bakule, Bechiyo, Bekeno, Kano, Lohuz Kurusham, Lamadata Shaloya, the Choshat Shokiyo, Minchoshat Rufa, Kachtoresh Abitan Choma. So then he goes on and he points out that the marot were used exclusively for making, for making this kiyot. So it's not just that the marot were accepted, but the marot were used exclusively. So now we know according to Rashi what the pasuk means, v'yaset ha-kiyot nechoshet, v'etkano nechoshet, v'marot ha-tsevaot. These marot were brought by the women, and these marot were used exclusively for making the making the kiyor, it has something to do with shalom bein ishto bein ishto, etc. All of this is, all of this is good. Let's learn the Ramban a little bit. Let's learn the Ramban. Benot Yisrael, you see the Ramban, starts Benot Yisrael, go to the end of the first paragraph, that's Lashon Rashi, that's a quote, right? He quotes Rashi, we just learned Rashi. Atam b'medrash hazeh, shebechalokal melechad ha-mishkad kibutach shitim min anashim. He says, after all, the tachshitim, the jewelry, also belonged to the women, and that was accepted. Which means that the anashim gave even more than the women. But you see that the women also gave their, their jewelry, what they had. All of these things are items of jewelry. Right? Either you know what they are, or you don't know what they are. It doesn't matter. But you probably don't know what a kumaz is. Probably. So, but that's what the Pasuk says. There are four things, and the fourth one is a, a kumaz. A kumaz. Listen to the, what the Ramban says. A kumaz. Kefi medrasho. He says this Gemara in Shabbat that says... It's kind of a disgusting thing. A kumas. Why is it disgusting? Um, just one second. Why is it disgusting? Yeah. See on page two. On page two, you see there's a, you see the Pasuk in Shemot Perik Lamedhe at the top, Pasuk of Beit, Vayivon, Eshimon, and Eshim, Kolidiv, Leiv, Eviu, Chachva, Nezem, Vitabat, Vichumaz, right? So Tabat, Chachva, Nezem, Vitabat, they're all like regular, regular jewelry. But a Kumaz is not regular. Rashi says, Kumaz, Kliza Havu Natun Keneged Otobakom Leisha. The woman would wear it around their, uh, uh, you know, around the hips, sort of, and 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 it would like emphasize sexuality. So Rashi says, mm-hmm. and the Chachamim said that you know what the word kumaz means? 
Kan Mekom Zima. This is, this is, uh, you know, this is sexual. This is a sexual thing. This is a women trying to be attractive sexually. That's what a kumaz is. So we go back to the first, to the, to the Ramban. Let's go back to the Ramban. So the Ramban says, HaKumaz show Yotenimas. The kumaz is not like the Choch and the Nezem, right, which are regular jewelry. But the kumaz is an unpleasant, or a, a negative kind of piece of jewelry. Avosham, so, so what the Ramban is saying, how come Moshe Rabbeinu didn't say anything about that? Remember, Moshe Rabbeinu said, I don't want those marot, because they were used for whatever they were used for. But he never said anything about the kumaz, and the kumaz is also, according to Chazal, uh, a, a negative kind of uh, piece of jewelry. So he says, Sham nitarva kol ha so when it came to the jewelry, it was all mushed together. Right? All the jewelry was, uh, was used together. So, you, so at the end, when you took all the jewelry apart, you took the gold, you took the silver, you took the, 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 the precious jewels, so you didn't know where it came from. So it all got mixed together. That was the advantage of a mixture. I will shiasu klibi yuchad min lo moshe he says, so Moshe Rabbeinu, he said, oh, kumaz, okay, but by the time we finish taking it apart and separating it and melting it and, and putting it together so it won't be a kumaz anymore. So Moshe Rabbeinu didn't say anything when they brought the kumaz. But when they brought the marot, Moshe Rabbeinu said this, we're going to make, we're going to make the kior only out of marot. The whole thing is going to be marot. Everybody who looks at the kior is going to say, oh, marot, marot. Marot that so vote? So that Moshe Rabbeinu said, that, that can't be. And he wouldn't do it. He, you know, he's reinterpreting a little bit the Medrash. He's, re- he's helping us to understand. So the Rabban goes on and he says, uh, And so HaKadosh Baruch had to intervene and tell the Rabban. I tell Moshe Rabbeinu, it's okay. And then the Rabban goes on and he points out what Rashi doesn't point out. And that is that the words Asher Tzavu, the, le- the end of the Pasuk, Asher Tzavu Petachol Moed, is, is difficult. Those words are difficult, actually. Is difficult, are difficult. Okay? This is maybe it means that they came together as a as a collective and they brought the um, they brought this uh, the marot to the Moshe Rabbeinu themselves, etc. So the Ramban the Ramban has made an, an important point here. It made an important point to teach us that the that the uh, marot are different than any other thing that was ever donated to the building of the Mishkan. And how are they different? Because they were used exclusively for making the kiyot. For making the kiyot. Okay, so now let's go uh, 700 years. I will look at the Nitziv a little bit before I try to solve, before I try to solve this riddle. The Marot had solved. Oh, you know that the Nitziv was the Rashiv of Volozhin, right? Until Volozhin closed, 
in the 1890s, and man eventually moved to Warsaw, and he died. It was those who on those trips, what they call, they call, the kids call them Poland trips, as though it's like uh, just something that happens. So you go on these Poland trips, so you go to Warsaw, you go to Warsaw, you see the, the, uh, uh, the Beta Kvarot, the graveyard in Warsaw, where there's a big oil, and then the oil are buried Rav Chaim, Rav Chaim Salavetrik, and the Nitziv, in the same in the same oil, and of course they were related to each other. They were not always happy with each other, but they were related to each other, so I guess in death uh, they would not part. In life it was not so, it was not always so pleasant, but both of them were great people who accomplished uh, great things, accomplished great things. Uh, the Steve was in Volosian his whole life, he got married. He got married, uh, anyway, he was very young, I guess. And then he sat and learned for about 20 years. When I said he sat and learned, I don't mean it like people say today, what do you do I learn? It wasn't like that. The Nitziv, for 20 years, did not talk to anybody or move out of his seat. He used to go home for Kiddush, which only took place once a week. And then he would come home again for Habdullah, and that was it. And the rest of the time he was in the Beit Medrash, I think. Maybe he slept. He probably slept in the Beit Medrash. He really, he really did it. And so people who do that usually are um, like sort of out of it a little bit. Like, you know, they're not with it. But then when he became the Rosh Shiva, he was very much with it. Became a fundraiser. Became a, just like Rav Chaim. Also, Rav Chaim um, was uh, a Rosh Shiva Volozhin first. And he left Volozhin to become the Rav in Brisk. And when he was the Rav in Brisk, he worked all the time as the Rav. Even though when he was growing up in, in Volodian, he spent all this time learning. So you see, uh, you know, like people have capacities that they can use at different times. At different times of their life. I always say that if you look at the picture of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the most recent one, when he became Rebbe, he was 50 years old. Uh, 50 years old, I think, when he became Rebbe. So if you look at him, you see his face is very harsh. And you look at his face, you say, this guy probably never talks to anybody. And then he, he made himself over and he spent his whole, the whole rest of his life talking to people all the time. So you see that, um, like really you have different capacities which you decide to use at different times. And just because you do one doesn't mean you don't have the other one buried someplace inside of you and you can pull it up on occasion you know, when you really need it so that's the Nitziv the Nitziv in the yeshiva gave a shir in Chumash every morning after tefillah he gave a shir he learned another few psukim every day and then eventually all of that was collected into his perush on the Chumash which is called Ha'amek Dabak to which he added a further perush which is a kind of a lot of little pilpalistic uh, because he couldn't help himself and that's called Harchev Davar and those Perushim are printed together they're printed together in the editions of the of the Nitziv which has I think uh, uh, assumed a, a new popularity people look in the Nitziv and they put it out in different editions and uh, it's a very it's often very interesting but since the Nitziv was a Rosh Hashiva and was pushing Torah you know, that was his thing. So every time he has a question, the answer is always, they learn Torah. 
Uh, that seems to be the answer for all the questions. But the way he gets to that answer is far from obvious. So it's interesting to look at his, uh, his commentary. What does he say? So we did that, right? Rabban Hosif Lazbir Badur Bachurul Asot B'mar Otehem Kiyor V'chano Mishum Mei Sotan. Right, the Rabban adds to Rashi. Rashi didn't mention this business about Mei Sotan, but the Rabban does. B'tzirich Lomar Shikvar Neim Rabbi Adu Parashat Sotan. So, in other words, uh, uh, when God explained to Moshe Rabbeinu why it was important to build the Kiyor out of the out of the the Choshet of the Marot. He told them that it was for the Mesota. So that must mean they knew about Mesota. Or at least Moshe Rabbeinu knew about it, even though the Pasha of Mesota is in the Pasha in Naso. And here we're only in Vayakel and Pekude, but they must have known. Must have known about all of this. Vadayin Kasheh, Kefel Ashodashat Savu. Still, the Tzib says the Pasuk is not clear, because it says Marota Tzovot, and then it says Asher Tzavu. So what do you have to say? Asher means the mirrors of those who are tzavot. So what do you have to say? Asher tzavu. Why does it have to say Asher tzavu? <laughs> okay, so, so then he says, uh, look at the third line. V'nir'el pima maram bebrachot hadi nashe b'maizachin. We know there's this Gemara that says, what is it that, that women, what is it women are zolche? Where do they get merit from. We know that men get merit from doing the mitzvah of Talmud Torah. But for women, the mitzvah of Talmud Torah is a little bit different. They, they get it, they get merit for, for learning Torah, but not as much as men. Because when you have to do something and you do it, that's better even than doing something because you like to do it. Right? So women who learn Torah, they do it because they like to learn Torah. Men who learn Torah do it because they have to learn Torah. So I have to learn Torah, so that's a, that's, a greater, that's a greater merit. So what's the merit that the women have to equate themselves? It doesn't mean that the men have merit and the women don't have any merit, at least not according to the Rambam. Right? It means the men have merit and the women have less merit, because the women who learn Torah either do it because they have to, like they have to know the halachas, or because they like to. Right? Those are the, the only two possibilities. They don't have to. Those are the only, the only two possibilities. So he says, how do women get up to the level of men? That's how I explain it. Okay? Make sure that the husbands get, you know, gaze a bag, gaze a sandwich, or the apple, go to the Beit Midrash. Get out. Get out of the house. Right? Right? So it's also the children. Right? They send their husbands to the Cholel, they send their children to Cheder. So he connects this to the idea that Miriam was the kind of, brought the Be'er, the well that traveled with the Jews around the desert. Says, why is it that Miriam? This is a nice idea, I think. Then uh, why is it that Miriam was sort of responsible for the bear? Miriam could have been responsible also for the the sandwiches. 
Right? She could have made everybody those cheese sandwiches on toast and dough, you know, or like in Israel, it would be chocolate on, on bread. Right? She could have said, Miriam, how come she was responsible for the, how she got to the schut of the be'er? What's the schut of the be'er? The be'er, after all, is a mikveh. Mikveh means that, that there are times when you have to have added, an added feeling of sanctity to do whatever it is you're going to do. Right there, you can't be regular. That's what a mikvah does. A mikvah changes changes you from the way you are to kind of a little bit better, a little bit more significant, a little bit more significant. It makes sense that people look for more and more opportunities. Some people to go to the uh, to go to the mikvah. So he says, "Beshut Miriam beada be'ershu mikveh Torah be'vili dei kedusha." That's exactly the same thing. In other words, the, just like the mikveh is an enabler, right? The mikveh enables you to do things that you wouldn't have been able to do without the mikveh, whether it's Avodah, the Beit HaMikdash, etc., other things. So the mikveh is an enabler. It makes it possible. Women are the great enablers. Like they're going to enable their husbands to go to learn, their children to learn. That, that's, that's what women are there for. It makes sense that the deceive says that, um, that uh, Miriam brought the Be'er into the world. Because she understood that. She understood what water was really about. It wasn't just about drinking. But it was about purification. It's like the Rambam says at the end of Hilchot Mikvaot. If you don't remember that Rambam, you should take a look. The Rambam at the end of Hilchot Mikvaot says, says clearly, one should not think ever. The Rambam says it. I mean, the Rambam, the Rambam was not a rabbi. The Rambam was the Rambam. Right? He was a singularity, as they say in, in, uh, in physics. He certainly was not a rabbi. He may have done some of the things rabbis do. But he was not a rabbi. So the Rambam says, don't think. Don't think that the mikveh does it. The tahara is produced by the mikveh. He says, we're not like that. He says, the tahara is produced by the will that the person has to achieve tahara. The mikveh is just a way of reminding you of what it is you want and what it is you do. The Rabbah has a long excursion at the end of Hilchot Mikvaot. If you don't know the Rabbah, you should look at it. So here he says, he says, it's appropriate that Miriam should bring Mikvah into the world because Mikvah is about preparing you for, Mikvah is about preparing you for a higher state of Kedushah. And that's what women, women did. They, they, they pushed their husbands, they pushed their children. That's a higher state of uh, Kedusha. And therefore, So that's, that's really very nice. He quotes another Medrash, a Medrash in the Gemara, that Miriam, the death of Miriam and the Chumash comes next to Paraduma, because Paraduma is Mitaher, and that was Miriam's job, that was Miriam's function in the world, Litaher. So it makes sense, right? So the Tzib is, is discovered for us. Another reason that the Marot, that the Marot were used for this Kli, for the Kli which is Mitaher, 
which brings you to a higher to the higher level, the kli that has the water that obligates the the, the kohanim every every time to wash before they do before they do a uh, an avodah. If you look at the second page, look at the second page, but look at one more pasuk. Shemot Perik Lave, this is Kiti Save, the Bear Sheva Moshe Limo, Basita Kion, the Hosha Kano, the Hosha Rachza, Venatata, Tobet Olmo Eid, Venemus Bear, Venatata Shama Mayim. Basita Kion, the Hosha de Nisif says, Blodichta Tlizel El Pasha Chuma, as I said before, Shekola Kalim Natsu, the Kedushat Avoda. It was all of the other Kalim, the Shulchan, the menorah, the Aron, Kedushat Avodah. Their sanctity is connected to their function. They, they have sanctity in order to function, in order to be. But, Klizeh, even though it's true that the water that's found in the cistern is different, called it's, it's special water. It can only be used for this purpose of watching the Kohanim. Mikol makom ba'gam shelolik dushat avoda. I think it should be. Rak lachshirat adam leyidei avoda o likanes lahechal. I feel believe avoda k'boshit ba'evesam. So he says that the mayim is different. The kli that holds the mayim. The purpose of that kli. The purpose of that kli was in order to create Kedusha to enable further Avodah. To enable further Avodah. So we learned a little bit about the Kli, that's called the Kiyor. We saw Rashi, we saw the Ramban, we saw a little bit of the Tziv. And now I'd like to tell you something. There's a Gemara. The Gemara says, the Gemara... It's a Yerushalmi. Yerushalmi in Sota, Perik it's not on the sheet. Perik Aleph, Halacha Dalit. It's one line. Yerushalmi, Sota, Aleph, Dalit. One line. The one line is this. Mashem HaKadosh HaNichtav B'Kedusha Amar HaKatuv SheYibache Al HaMayim the Gemara is talking about Nei Sota, which I mentioned earlier. And the Nei Sota are made up, it's a conglomeration of the water, which comes from the Kior, and the, and the burnt parchment of the Parsha of Sota, from, a, from the Torah, right? It's a parish, the parish of Sota, not from the Torah. They wrote it separately, but it looks like the Torah. It looks like, so the, 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 the way that the Sota, the way that the Sota is purified, the way the Safek is removed, is by taking a parish in the Torah and burning it. Now this, to a reasonable person, would seem to be rather an unlikely event. I mean, why did they have to burn the, the letters of the Torah itself? I mean, it's awesome. You can't throw out a Sefer Torah. Even the Sefer Torah becomes unusable. You don't throw it into, into some kind of a furnace and let it burn up, like the contrary. 
It has to be buried with honor. You have to avoid uh, uh, doing it any kind of damage. And here the Torah says, in order to remove the safek, in order to remove the doubt that exists between Isha and Ishto, this is what you do. You take the water, you take the afer, you take dust, the ash of the parsha that was burnt up, and that's what she drinks. So the Gemara in Sota says this. Amar HaKatuf The Torah teaches us Sheyimacheh that the Torah itself has to be cancelled out. Why? That's what the Gemara says. That's what the Gemara says in Sota. That the greatest thing in the world, the greatest thing even greater apparently than the Torah, is Shalom. And that the source of Shalom I mean, even though shalom can be applied to everything in the world, right? Shalom between neighbors, shalom between communities, shalom between nations, shalom. I mean, it's a word that just stretches indefinitely. But shalom, as many things, has a root. It comes from something. The person who can make peace is the person who lives in peace. And the person who lives in peace is the person who lives in peace with his spouse. That's what the Torah says. And the way, I mean, since, since peace is the ultimate desire, that's how we end every single Shmon Esrei that we say, that peace, peace, somehow, peace means that it makes sense to me that you are there. Right? It doesn't mean that I agree with you or that I uh, think that you should always win and I should always it doesn't mean anything like that it just means peace means I recognize the fact that you should be and the source of that feeling since you have to rule you could always say you could say why should people have to get married I mean if they have to get married to have children so there's some other way that you can have children I mean, if you had to raise children, you know, they used to have kibbutzim that used to do this. You know, people would have children, but they would not exactly be married. And their children would exactly be the children. So maybe this didn't work out so well. But in theory, in theory you could do that. Like, what does the marriage contribute? So it contributes whatever it contributes. I'm not going to argue with the professional psychologists, some of whom may be sitting in this room. So I, I won't argue about that. But I would say... I would say that in order to be a person who has a character trait, you have to get to the root of where that character trait is created. And since the purpose of Torah is Shalom, this is the purpose of Torah is Shalom, if the people who are learning the Torah don't represent or can't act as persons in Shalom, then the whole enterprise, so to speak, is in jeopardy. Like, sort of like, what's the point? What's the point? I mean, they think that God gave the Torah so that we should eat a matzah and not eat, uh, not eat chametz? No, that's not why God gave the Torah. God gave the Torah. Well, there should be shalom. And that's why the Kohanim, when they go to bless Am Yisrael, they say, like, what's the greatest? Here we have this, you know, this, this opportunity. 
I mean, it's written in the Torah. I don't mean it's not written in the Torah, but you can say, you have this opportunity to say a bracha. What bracha are you going to say? A bracha you say, so of course, you know, when people give brachas, it's like the Gemara says, that's a bracha, we understand that. Do well on the stock market, have a long, healthy life. Your children should give you nachas, whatever that might mean. So that, that, that's what we say. What does HaKadosh Baruch Hu say? Right? You are saying, that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu says. That's what the Kohanim say. So in order f- to fulfill the design of the Torah, we have to be essentially in a state of peace. And to be essentially in a state of peace, the Torah says, there has to be peace between a man and his wife. In fact, you could say that the reason that there is a man and a wife, like otherwise we could like dispense with this uh, convention uh, somehow, is in order that people should have to experience, people should be able to experience peace. Which means, which means, uh, I think, being able to recognize the value and worth of somebody who is other than yourself. That's called peace. And that, that, the Gemara says, is so important that the, in order, the Torah what explains how important it is. HaKadosh Baruch says, even more important than the Torah. I'll show you. Because when the Sota, when the, is a case of Sota, the case of Sota is no peace. Right? No peace between the husband and the wife. The Torah itself is burnt up in order to achieve, in order to achieve peace. And so, we go back to the argument between Moshe Rabbeinu and HaKadosh Baruch. Moshe Rabbeinu said, Moshe Rabbeinu is according to Rashi, and according to the Ramban. Right? Moshe Rabbeinu said, look, Marot, it's haughty, it's sexual. Is that kind of thing we want in the Beit HaBidash? HaKadosh Baruch said, that's what we really want. Because it produced peace so of course the question I said I told you at the beginning the question was where did Moshe Rabbeinu miss out here? how come Moshe Rabbeinu he wasn't in class he didn't learn the Torah in Har Sinai he didn't know the importance of Shalom how come HaKadosh Baruch had to say to him now Moshe Rabbeinu Shalom Bayez Shalom Bayez is a great thing where was Moshe Rabbeinu in all of this uh, procedure so let's look at it like this you know that Shabbos is a very important mitzvah. But what takes precedence over Shabbos? We all know. Pikuch nefesh. Life and death situations take precedence over, over even on Shabbos. So if I, if I know it's Shabbos and somebody needs special care, so, uh, so I give it to them. If it means being Chal Shabbos Doraisa, being Shabbos Doraisa, there's a difference, but you understand that generally the rule is that Pikuach Nefesh beats Shabbat. Who decides if it's Pikuach Nefesh? Who decides if it's Pikuach Nefesh? I do. I mean, I do, the doctor does, the, the, the post does, but, but when I say I do, I mean it's in our hands. Pikuach Nefesh is in our hands. So Moshe Rabbeinu said to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I know that these Marot HaTzovot, I know that the Marot HaTzovot were important, and that they caused, they caused, they were the cause 
of, uh, of Shalom Bayit. I know Shalom Bayit is very important. But I also know that when Shalom Bayit is Dochet the Torah, it only does it as a direct command, like the Sota. We could never have invented the Me Sota. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, HaKadosh Baruch said, Me Sota. So we burned the Torah. And so Moshe Rabbeinu said, we cannot accept them, our Otatzovot. We know that they were important. But we can't accept them. HaKadosh Baruch said to Moshe Rabbeinu, the Marot HaTzovot is just like Mesota. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, oh, that's good. That I understand. It was not that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't understand the Marot HaTzovot, or that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't want to do what the right thing was, but that Moshe Rabbeinu understood. Moshe Rabbeinu understood that the Marot HaTzovot still needed the heter of the Rebunish to be included as Marot HaTzovot in the, in the Kiyom. And you know that the Rabban quotes also the Gevara and Sota, this time in the Bavli, the Gevara and Sota said, says that Misharabu HaMinoafim Chodlu Mesota, which means the words, when, when people were, when sexual indiscretion was rampant Amongst the Jewish people, the Mesota stopped working. In, in other words, the Mesota are only going to work if the result is going to be Shalom Bayit. Shalom Bayit is not about a particular case. Shalom Bayit is not about, here's this man, this woman, they have suspicion, let's, let's get rid of it, we'll put a litmus test and you know, it'll be blue, it'll be good, or red, it won't be good. It's not like that. They have to be able, that, that, that the suspicion that the man has of this woman has to be totally out of context. It's got to be something that, that generally doesn't happen. That's very rare. It's like the Marota Tzovot. There was one time in history that such a thing could happen. So we see that there's a difference between Pikuach Nefesh Shedoche Shabbat. And the Marot HaTzovot that Adolche, the opposition that Moshe Rabbeinu could have had. Pikuach Nefesh is given over to me, to us. We are the arbiters of Pikuach Nefesh. But when it comes to Shalom Bayit, when the Torah is going to be pushed aside a little bit for Shalom Bayit, that's something that we have to be directed from heaven about. And that was the pshat. That's why Moshe Rabbeinu went to HaKadosh Baruch and said, there's a problem here. The problem is not that Shalom Bayit is important. I know that. And it's not that Shalom Bayit should be encouraged. But the problem is that you never told me that I can build the kiyor out of the Marot HaTzavot. HaKadosh Baruch said to him, go build them. Go build it that way. Because these Marot HaTzavot are the most wonderful things that have ever happened. Rashi says, Shalom Bayit, and the Ramban says, Me Sota, and it's clear that this was the idea that the Beforshim were kind of convincing us about. Have a good Shabbos.